Well, well, well. It's me. It's me. How are you? It's very late. It is right around 2 a.m. and I'm finally getting to this, so I apologize. Um, but also, just deal with it. Listen. <laughs> uh... Several years ago, uh, somebody asked me, they said, uh, hey, we found uh, these kittens under our uh, shed or whatever, and we've got been able to find homes for all of them except for this one. She's kind of the runt, and uh, nobody really seems to want her. Uh, Do you want her? I said, well, let me come and look at her and just see, you know, we've kind of been thinking about getting a, a pet or something. And so I went over there, and of course I ended up coming home with the with the kitten. And I uh, got home, and we got her a food bowl, and we got her a little place to sleep, and all this different stuff, you know, like you do. And we're just kind of settling in. We really, you know, within a week, are super attached to her. And and then uh, I remember thinking, uh, looking at her one day, she was getting bigger. And I remember thinking, cats regularly live to be 20 years old. <laughs> and that's the sensation I've had the past couple days with the podcast where I, of course I enjoy doing it. And, um, if I didn't, I wouldn't, you know, I'd stop doing it immediately. Um, but it's a lot, it's a lot of work to, uh, to do a daily podcast. And, um, I think that having it be interesting every single day is, is really kind of a challenge. And some days I'm just sort of, rambling about my life and some days I'm talking about some issue and things like that and uh you know it's it's uh, a variety which I hope is interesting and I will try to going forward and I think I've been pretty good about this so far but especially going forward I'm really going to try to you know in the first couple minutes tell you uh what it is we're doing today what it is we're talking about well today obviously is the long awaited the fabled uh, education podcast, okay? And before I go any further, let me just cite some sources. Well, really one main uh, chunk source, which is a TED Talk done by Sir Ken Robinson uh, in 2007 uh, on education. If you haven't seen it, I will have the link in the description for you to go and check out. I cannot recommend it enough. He's absolutely uh, brilliant and hilarious, entertaining, um, and ha- obviously makes some tremendous points, uh, many of which I will uh, hopefully be able to regurgitate and sort of expound upon and build on, especially at the end, um, uh, which is what I've been trying to sort of organize in the past couple of days, um, an efficient way to, to do that. So... Without further ado, let's let's jump right in. Education. Um, I want to first say that this came about from a discussion that I had with a coworker uh, whose name is Thomas. So, Thomas, if you're listening, hell yeah, buddy. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for talking to me and giving me feedback about the podcast. You rock. Thank you so much. Um, may you forever be enshrined on uh, podcast number 12. <laughs> as one of the OG listeners, I appreciate it. But uh, we were talking one night. We we uh, uh, will sit and wait for orders and talk and stuff. And we were talking about 
things. And somehow education came up and um, we're just going into all of the various ills of public education and solutions. And um, as one does in those situations, you're trying to sum up grandiose concepts and you're trying to uh, encapsulate things that really require a much longer conversation and like pithy statements and it doesn't always work. And he just looked at me and he was like, this needs to be a podcast. And I was like, you're absolutely fucking right. So here we are. Um, if you, uh, if you like it, thank Thomas. If you don't like it, blame Thomas. There you go. All right, let's go. (laughs) All right. So just to be clear, we're talking, when I say public education, we're, we're talking about public education systems all over the world, but specifically, uh, you know, the, the, the public education system that I have the most experience with and, and know people that came up in, is uh, the United States uh, public education system. Um, and when we again, when we say public education, I want to make sure that we're talking specifically about, uh, you know, K through 12 education, you know, kindergarten all the way through through 12th grade type education. Um, we will talk about college at some point. We will, and, and we will talk about, um, I, I'll, I'm just going to say university because that's, that's what's, that's what it's called in so many places. And that's what, um, you know, Sir, Sir Robinson calls it. So in my notes, I've, I've written university quite a bit. And if I say university, you, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of go through his talk here. I don't know how else to do this. I'm going to kind of go through his talk, which I think is extremely insightful and beneficial. And, and bear in mind, this is 2007 that this talk took place. Okay. And this is the basis of a lot of my sort of gripes with public education and a lot of my sort of perspective on public education is sort of founded here and has grown from this starting point. So I think it's only fair to really cover this, um, in its, in its entirety as, as much as I can, um, with some notes. So he starts out, um, talking about kids will take a chance. Um, kids aren't frightened by being wrong. And, um, and I love this idea. I love this idea that, you know, kids, are willing to, you know, that's, that's, they, they kind of have to be that way. I mean, if you think about, um, as a child, you're learning English, you're learning how to be a person you're learning and, and you're just going to constantly be wrong. And you, it, you couldn't possibly be, be afraid of being wrong as a child because you would just be paralyzed by fear because you're just wrong constantly. And, um, I can remember distinctively having experiences where, I think to myself, oh man, I'm never going to do that again. Or I can, I I can remember having experiences where, um, you know, being like in 10th grade or something and looking back on the last couple of years and being like, man, I've embarrassed myself (laughs) quite a bit and I'm going to just try to settle down and not do so much of that going forward. And, and, and what is that really a feeling of? So it's a feeling of like, I've been wrong a lot. You know, I've been wrong about what I thought the world was. I've been wrong about, you know, what I thought I was capable of, or I was wrong about, you know, everything, all kinds of stuff. And, um, but that's, there's beauty in that and there's value in that, um, being wrong and not being afraid to be wrong. Um, I I love this statement that he makes. He says, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. I'll say that again. If you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. I can't tell you how many friends of mine are sort of like aspiring writers and stuff like that and or content creators or, you know, musicians who are trying to write music, whatever. And the 
the thing I get all the time is this this thing about, oh man, you know, I, because I'll, I'll say something about, oh, I wrote something last night or whatever, and the person that I'm talking to will say, oh, I, I used to write, I love to write, but I just can't do it anymore. And uh, really, I think almost universally, it's this fear of being wrong. It's this fear of um, not writing something good or uh, um, having something in your head and not being able to get it out properly or whatever. This is fear of, of fucking up um, that is bred into us, um, by the, uh, education system and all other, other mechanisms as you, as you go through life. Um, so I'm going to quote him some more here. We run education systems where mistakes are the worst things you can make. And, you know, there's certainly a semantic argument that can be made here that you have to mark, uh, mistakes on papers and you have to, uh, you know, you can't just allow kids to grow up without ever being, uh, corrected. So that's obviously not the point he's making. The point he's making where, when he says we run education, education systems, uh, where mistakes are the worst things you can make. What he's talking about there is, you know, if you don't have a great grade in a certain class, it is a shameful thing really shameful thing. Or if you, uh, write a paper and you don't do well on it. I mean, it is, it is really, that is tough. That is tough. We've all been there because we, when we were all required to go through the, some education system or another. And, um, you know, everybody can remember getting a paper back and, you know, uh, for whatever fucking reason they, they, uh, you know, post the grade somewhere where everyone can see it. Or maybe, um, oh, pass these back. Well, when you're passing them back, you're looking at everyone else's grade, etc. And just being mortified, just being humiliated by the fact that you bombed some test or some paper or that you uh, fell short in some area, you know? And, and I think that what he's talking about there is the idea that that is reinforced by the education system itself. That feeling of shame, that feeling of, oh shit, I blew it on this and I have to like struggle to do better. Otherwise I'm like worthless as a person and I'm not going to be able to do anything in life, you know? Um, so he goes on to say, uh, the result is that we're educating kids out of their creative capacities. Um, Picasso said that all children are born artists. The challenge is to remain an artist as we grow up. Okay. So just let that sink in. Like, Everybody has things they enjoy doing um, and things that they're good at, but those things are not necessarily things that you're going to get a grade on in school is, is kind of the direction that we're going here. Um, every education system, he goes on to say, has the same hierarchy of subjects. Math, then languages, then humanities, and then the arts are at the bottom uh, pretty much everywhere on earth. Um and here, I think that, you know, if I can insert some commentary, I don't think he's necessarily even saying that, like, the arts should be on top and everything else should be on on the bottom. But I do think that, you know, having the focus the way it is gears people towards certain professions and certain lines of thinking and certain ways of living that are not ideal uh, many times to the way that their uh, brain works and the way that they are gifted. And I think that that's such a shame. And at one time, it was a necessity, but I, I don't think that it is 
anymore. And um, and so let's see here. Yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get to why that is here in just a minute. Um, every education system has the same hierarchy of subjects. So we just did that. Art and music um, are even given priority over like dance and um, I forget what the other what the other subject is. But like there even in the arts, there's a hierarchy given. Um, it's just bizarre uh, for various reasons. Um, the whole purpose of a public education system throughout the world is to produce university professors. Um, <laughs> he makes this point where he talks about um, the whole purpose of a preparatory education is to get you into university. And the whole purpose of university really is to not to prepare you for what you're actually studying, but to prepare you to teach what you're studying, um, which I think is a fair argument about a systemic issue in education. Um, he says college professors live in their heads. Uh, their bodies are a way of getting their heads to meetings. <laughs> I love that. Um, which not everybody's geared that way at all. Um, and here we go. Here's, here's where the rubber really meets the road. Here's, here's what's really interesting to me. The whole system of public education was brought into being to meet the needs of industrialism based on two ideas. Number one, the most useful subjects for work are at the top. In other words, you were steered away from things you liked at school on the grounds that you'd never be able to get a job doing that. So let me just stop there real quick before we get to the second thing. Like, let's let's think about that for a second. The whole system of public education was brought into being to meet the needs of industrialism. Okay, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that by any means, but like, you do understand that like industrialism came into being like well over a hundred years ago. Like to say that the education system is outdated is, is so beyond, um, <laughs> beyond a reduction of, of the real problem. Like, and, and I'll get into this in, in my comments later, but I, I really just feel at this point, like, uh, it's more of a rite of passage than it is an actual training uh, to be a successful and happy person in life. And I feel like the changes that need to be made, um, are not made for various reasons, which we'll get into later, but it, it is unequivocally, it, it, almost universally accepted that, that, you know, the United States public education system, um, and his point would be public education systems around the world are beyond outdated. Uh, because they were brought into being for the needs of something that is no longer an economy that exists. Um, the industrial economy is definitely still around and definitely running strong. But at the same time, there are whole other worlds. There are whole other there are whole other um, realms of possibility to to make a living in at this point and and to um, be able to live and and feed yourself and be a person and be happy than the traditional, the traditional professions that these, uh, education, public education systems were geared toward preparing you for as a person. Um, the second idea, um, that the, uh, public education system was brought into being to meet the needs of industrialism based on two ideas. Number one, the most useful subjects for work are at the top. And number two, academic ability. 
which has really come to dominate our view of intelligence because universities design the whole system in their image. So he goes on to talk about intelligence being um, diverse, dynamic, and distinct. Um, he says, uh, the whole system of public education around the world is a protracted process of university, university entrance. And the consequence is that many highly talented, brilliant, creative people think they're not because the thing that they are good at in school wasn't valued or was actually stigmatized. You know, I dealt with some of this myself uh, as a trumpet player wanting to be a professional musician when I grew up. I was constantly told, you'll never make any money, you're going to struggle for the rest of your life, it's stupid, you need to go into something that's actually a profession where you can make money and, like, support family and, you know, the, the implication is, like, you, to be happy, you need you need... A certain amount of money and you're never going to make that certain amount of money doing what you like to do so <sighs> diet coke tonight no bang it's too late too late for a bang i'm getting old but um but yeah i was constantly i was constantly dealing with that i was constantly dealing with you know basically people telling me i was an idiot for for wanting to do what i loved and it's just so, so depressing and so, you know, I, I was headstrong enough that I actually did go to school for, for trumpet performance, but I didn't stick with it because when the going got tough, um, the difficulty of the degree mixed with everyone telling me that it was a stupid thing to do to begin with, you know, I, I changed course, I altered, I, I changed my major. And I think that I'll always kind of regret that to a degree. And I think that always will, will kind of haunt me. And I think that it's indicative of, um, you know, systemically what we're talking about here. So anyway, that's just my personal experience. But he goes on to talk about a little girl who was having trouble in school, like in the 1930s, and they uh, took her to a specialist and they're like, you know, she's acting out in class and she's not turning in her homework on time and, you know, all this different stuff. She's like eight or nine years old. And the uh, uh, doctor said, I need to talk to your mother outside for a minute. And he, when he left, he turned the radio on and he said, watch her. And uh, the girl just immediately got up as soon as the adults were gone and just started dancing to the music on the radio. And uh, he looked at the girl's mother and he said, you know, she's she's not sick. She's a dancer. And um, it's such a powerful point. Like, it's such a powerful thing to, to illustrate that everyone's minds and everyone's, um, you know, way of thinking about things and way of being a person is, is completely different. You know, intelligence really is diverse. It really is dynamic and distinct. It really is something that is not able to be measured on an SAT. It's, it's something that, um, is so incredibly unique. And I think that one of the great things about living in the, in the, in the day and age that, that we do is that you really can actually make something of yourself doing just about anything. You just have to be passionate about it enough. You have to have a talent for it. You have to stick with it, and you have to really go go hard in the paint, and, and you can make it happen. Uh, you really can. Um, there's an angle to, to do just about anything. Um, listening to podcasts, I'm always amazed that, you know, someone will be interviewed, and they're like a professional, like, backpack hunter. They literally put, like, a tent and, like, supplies for, like, two weeks in a giant backpack strap it to their back and they have like a crossbow or some 
whatever rifle or something and they go out in the woods for two weeks and they document everything they photograph everything um you know they're in incredible shape um because they have to be and so that's sort of an aspect of of what they uh, the content they put out and and they're able to make a really good living doing this because it's what they've always been good at it's what they've always loved and it's like a huge part of who they are and that person you know i just can't even imagine like i was listening to one of these guys talk about backpack hunting and talk about uh you know what what he does for a living and how he documents it and just the intricacies of of his sort of profession his unique profession that he has for there for himself and i was thinking to myself like and in fact it might have even been said in the podcast at some point like that guy would absolutely shrivel up and die in an office uh setting he just would like that guy would absolutely uh, just not be able to cope with an office. It'd be absolutely crazy to expect. And in and, and knowing, knowing him now, it would be crazy to expect him to, to thrive in that type of environment. I mean, we can all see that obviously, but it's hard to see that on the front end. It's hard to see that when it, when it's a child, when it's a child going through the to educational system to, to say, you know, Oh, you're going to be a backpack hunter, <laughs> you know? It's a tough thing, but I mean, I think we need to start trusting that more and more that when someone is gifted in an area or when someone has a passion for something that, you know, it, it's no longer as much of a death sentence from a financial or career standpoint to say that, you know, I'm really going to pursue that. I'm really going to go after that. And I think that that's really highlighted in, in um, Sir Ken Robinson's talk. Um, the last uh, note that I have here from his talk is that... Uh, our education system has strip-mined our minds the way we mine the earth for a, for, for a particular commodity. We have to rethink the fundamental principles with which we are educating our children. So, I love that. That our, I love that. He's so, he's so pithy. He's so, he, you got you got to go listen to his talk. I know that I've sort of probably butchered it, but you, hopefully I've whet your appetite for, um, uh, you know, going and, and really finishing that that off because it, it's so good he's so good at um putting things putting concepts into words like the fact that our education system has strip mined our minds like that's so crazy uh to think about because it's so true and it's one of those things that when you once you hear it you think about it and you're like holy shit like it really it really does like uh, we are mind for the ability to work on a computer and do basic math and to have decent English skills and to know enough history and enough like social studies to get by like that. That is what we're strip mined for as a society, as people, as a collection of, of minds. And it's so sad and weird and terrible. And, um, you know, if I can, if I can add on to this in any way, um, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to read this um so I do want to let you know sometimes I'll hear podcasters and they'll say a bunch of stuff and it sounds like they're reading and I can't tell if they're reading or not well I'm just going to tell you that I've written this I've written this out and I'm just going to read it so bear that in mind but I am I am going forward based on where we're at right now in the conversation so to me my opinion Leadership into the future is our greatest problem. Nobody wants to tackle these kind of problems because conventional wisdom is so powerful. Any change is un incredibly unpopular. The real solution that we need is how to convince people 
changes do in fact need to be made and be willing to try things that may or may not work. This requires iron leadership. We need to stop looking at public education as a rite of passage and return it to what it was intended to be, which is preparation for a successful, dignified life. So I just want to stop there and, and kind of talk about that for a second. Like, it, I, I think that almost anyone would agree that the education system that we have in this country is outdated. I think almost anyone would agree that, you know, a lot of changes need to be made in, in, in terms of prioritizing what uh, gets taught, what uh, what is weighted in terms of credits to graduate and um you know, I was required to take so many math classes and so many science classes and so many various things that, you know, I, I know that that's, it's sort of a popular gripe that, oh, I never use that. No, really, 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 I do not fucking use the vast majority of the stuff that I learned in, in middle school and in high school. I really don't. Okay. Like I've never used any of the geometry I learned. Like I've, I don't think I've even ever used any of the algebra that I've learned and I'm not I'm not saying that those things need to be, you know, taken out of the high school experience, but for fuck's sake, can we, can we take some of the weight off of them? You know, if someone's not good in those areas, can they still graduate? I mean, it just seems crazy to expect, you know, the same things out of every single person when we now know that intelligence is, um, diverse, dynamic, and distinct, you know, and, and, and now that we do have this economy that caters to, uh, the individual rather than these giant industries of, of, uh, sort of yesteryear's industrialism. Um, anyway, moving on. The greatest problem in modern leadership is focus because of the plural. Oh, fuck me. All right, hang on. Let me get a sip of Diet Coke. We're going to try that again. <laughs> We're going to try that again. Hang on. a frog in my throat all right here we go proliferation is the word that fucked me all right here we go here we go all right ready strap in focus let's go the greatest problem in modern leadership is focus because of the proliferation of technology and communications avenues most of us are struggling to have our voices heard and most often i think people think the best way to do that is to do something that sets yourself apart from everyone else for 20 years now, we've been sending each other stuff on the internet that is unique and amazing. Look at this cat riding a unicycle or whatever. And so I think intuitively we assume that to have our voice be heard and to gain any kind of following and to be able to lead, we must stand out. We must be one of a kind. We must be worth sharing. As is often the case with deep wisdom, I think that real leadership and the most powerful voices emerge out of unity out of being just like you and me. Real leadership unites and coalesces large groups into powerful forces that can affect real change. And now that I'm saying this, of course, it makes sense because we've all seen this. This is how a relatively unknown senator named Barack Obama was elected president. This is how a UFC fight commentator and game show host named Joe Rogan made his meteoric rise to become the most popular podcast host in the world. These types of figures are appealing and have tremendous staying power because they are just like you and me. They have the same curiosity about new things. They're open to new ideas while remaining skeptical. They will talk to anyone about anything and somehow manage to draw new perspective and meaning from the conversation. I don't know if there's a word for it 
but it is both mundane and extraordinary at the same time. And it doesn't come from being some unicorn people have never seen. It comes from being a uniter, a steady hand. It comes from being open-minded and fair. It comes from being a good listener. These are all characteristics of a good leader and an effective leader. And it is the polar opposite of the characteristics we find in our current leaders. Our government leaders, the folks leading major companies and industries, and even the people who are supposed to lead in our communities. Our current leaders are ruthless, selfish, and capricious. And that is what we've come to expect. So that's what we get. I think, honestly, it has a lot to do with the fact that we live in a very post-truth world right now. Which is nothing new historically, but is certainly new to us uh, now in living memory. Which is basically summed up in the Oxford Dictionary definition, which is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Okay, I'm going to read that one more time. That's, that's what post-truth means, okay? Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In a post-truth world, morality is decentralized and the most ruthless, most skilled liars come out on top. Sound familiar? But post-truth is a whole other podcast in and of itself, and that's just one thing you'll have to wait for. Okay? So I hope that all makes sense. I hope that uh, writing it out wasn't too dry. Um, but I do think that the entire, the whole shebang, both in education and frankly a lot of other areas, rises and falls on leadership. And I feel like our leadership right now stinks. It really stinks in almost every avenue. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, name me one good leader. Period. You know, name me one one good person who we can all look to and say, all right, that person's got great ideas and charisma and that person's a steady hand. Like, let's, you know, let's put all our chips. There's nobody. There is really, um, for the first time, at least in my own living memory, there is absolutely no one um, who does not seem to be in it for themselves, who does not seem to be, you know just in it for power, in it for their party or their viewpoint. You know, what we need is a leader who's in it for everyone, who's trying to lead the country in a positive direction, even if that means making some concessions, even if that means, you know, working with the other side of the aisle. And uh, we don't have that right now. And um, I don't know where it's going to come from, to be honest with you. There's there's a lot of solutions um, that, that could be implemented, in our education system, there's a lot of uh, solutions that could be implemented in our government. Um, there's a lot of solutions that could be implemented in all kinds of areas of life, but it's going to take iron leadership uh, to do so. And uh, I don't know where that's going to come from, to be honest with you. And I mean, I guess that's kind of its own interesting discussion as far as, you know, we pretty much know what's wrong with the world. And we pretty much, you know, have some good ideas as to what to do about it. But we need people to lead us into that future. And I just, I don't see anyone on the horizon. I don't, I don't know where they come from. I don't know where they normally come from. I don't know if anyone does. Leaders just kind of emerge and uh, make themselves known and, and rise to prominence and, um, and do great things throughout history. And we just, we just have a drought right now. And I think that that's one of the, uh, one of the reasons that we find ourselves in the predicament that we find ourselves in, uh, politically, socially, um, 
is just a complete and total utter lack of leadership. And um, I don't know. I don't have good solutions for where to find better leaders. I don't have good solutions on, you know, how to change things. I, I, I do think that, you know, you know, again, this is a very cliche thing to say right now, but I, I do think that people in this country are more divided than ever. And I think that that makes it especially difficult to rally behind a central person because one group or the other is always going to have a problem with, uh, anyone, any one person. And, um, you know, I think that in many ways we may even be witnessing the death of the leader, the death of one person who can actually accomplish something. We certainly see with cancel culture and with online pressure, uh, the ability of large groups to get things done. Is that where we're headed? Where leadership no longer matters, where large groups only matter? You know, are we are we headed into that sort of like Hux, Huxian uh, sort of... Um, <laughs> reality. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough. I don't have a, I don't have a wide enough knowledge base. I don't, I don't have enough life experience all over the country to be able to sum up anything in that way. But it, it certainly seems like that sometimes. And it certainly feels like that sometimes. Like, like leadership doesn't even matter anymore. And, and like, we'll never have a, a great leader again. But, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's happened in history. I'm sure that has happened in history. I know it certainly happened in Rome, where, people were like weeping in the streets like we're never going to have another another ruler like so and so and uh sure enough somebody else finally did come along and save rome or whatever so maybe we're just in a drought let's just hope that uh someone appears on the horizon is able to unite instead of divide someone's in it actually for the good of the uh their fellow countrymen and not just to be famous and popular and hold a lot of power and you know, I think that um, we may we may get lucky in the next couple of years, and I think that if we don't, it's it's going to be a real problem. It's going to be a real problem in a lot of ways. I think things are going to continue to break down. I do think, and this will be my last thought here. I, I do think that's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, the fact that we don't have any leaders on the scene right now uh, indicates that um, you know it's going to be a minute before somebody really rises to prominence. I mean, people do have meteoric rises. It happens. But um, but a lot of times it, it, it takes time. It takes time for someone to develop a, a following. It takes time for someone to develop the type of respect that would be needed to to do the things that we're talking about and to lead the country into uh, uh, a more positive uh, way of talking about things and uh, considering new ideas and things like that. I think it's going to take someone a while to really garner that type of respect and that type of... Um, that type of power. Um, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I, I, I do. I just think it's going to get worse before it, before it does finally get better. Um, I think it also may take a second for folks to realize that we do actually need good leaders and good leadership. I think that people do kind of want to take things um, in group form right now. I think people want to rule en masse. I think there's sort of a great lie out there, which is that, um, the vast majority of people think like I do, uh, which is fascinating, which again, I could do a whole podcast on, but I think people have this feeling that, that oh, everyone thinks like I do, or all good people think like I do or something, something to that effect. And, uh, when, when picking a leader or when pushing a, 
ideology or any any type of forward progress in that person's mind is going to be um, fighting back the uh, heterodox voices that oppose them, that are wrong, that are evil, that are bad, or whatever. And I just think we need to get over that. And I don't know if that's a societal thing that will come and go, or if it's something that is going to have to be battled back uh, ideologically with a more positive ideology or more heterodox ideology. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm rambling at this point, so um, I'm just going to go ahead and cut it off there. I know we didn't have a lot of, like, maybe quote-unquote fun today, but I did promise this episode, and I hope it delivered. I hope that it gave you some things to think about. I don't have any uh, hard and fast solutions. I don't have any, you know, if we just did this, everything would be fixed because I don't think we're at that point. I think we're at a completely uh, nebulous and and very strange point in history. Um, The only sort of saving grace is that I think it's going to be pretty cool uh, to look back on this time at some point and sort of reminisce about when uh, the world was upside down. Um, and I think that it'll be kind of cool to watch documentaries about this time and to, you know, I don't even know who the documentaries will be about because there's just no, there's no standout leaders. I guess Trump, that's about it. Um, Hillary Clinton, maybe, I don't know. But, um, anyways, hope you had a good Wednesday. I know I did. I had a lovely day off, got some good sleep, and uh, did a lot of preparing for this, wrote uh, some stuff out. And again, uh, please go watch uh, Sir Ken Robinson um, uh, give his TED Talk. I think it's 20 minutes or so. It's going to be well worth your time. And I think that... um, It'll make maybe some of the things that I've gone through make a little bit more sense. He's a lot better at it than I am. So thank you, as always, for listening. Um, thank you for your time. It means a lot. This is, I know, a little bit longer episode. So thank you for hanging in there. You guys are great. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.